It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is officially 2019, and that means you need to head over to YoungBatCompany.com and check out some of their custom bats, bat novelties, wedding gifts, and even some of their Legend Series memorabilia. It's a fantastic site run by unbelievable individuals, and we're proud to call them our premier sponsor over here on ProspectsLive.com. Again, that's YoungBatCompany.com and at YoungBatCompany on Twitter. Welcome to the Prospects Live Podcast Network. We'll begin with the reign of terror. Welcome back to another edition of the Prospects Live Top 30 Podcast. We are winding down to the end. We have two more of these left. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed them. Uh, I'm ready for a break. I don't know about these other guys, but we're going to finish strong here. I got with me uh, Eddie, uh, Ralph, Matt Thompson, and JP. I'm Jason Waddell. We are talking Dodgers list. Eddie, you did all the legwork on this Dodgers list. What would you learn from this list? These guys love themselves some athletic catchers, man. That's, I feel like that's like half the list almost. I'm exaggerating. But no, this is a, this is a, a, a deeper list than on the back end that you might assume with a lot of, you know, I, we just recently came off this Giants podcast where they had virtually no starters there's a starter down here way late into the 20s so there's a lot of depth in this dodgers list and it's to be expected this has been traditionally a pretty solid and deep system through the years so counting down on your uh on your top five here uh if we go five to one you got newly acquired jeter downs at shortstop uh gavin lux number four at shortstop dustin may the right-handed pitcher uh, Kiebert Ruiz, one of those athletic catchers, and then Alex Verdugo, the outfielder. Um, I want to talk to you about Verdugo for a second because this guy's gotten a cup of coffee, even though he's been young. He's only 22. He's gotten a cup of coffee in two big league seasons, and I know that the Dodgers are contending. At what point do they just give him a corner outfield spot and let him go? Because I feel like even going into this season – uh, he doesn't have a spot in that outfield. Well, when when we published this on a couple of days ago, I guess it was Thursday, last Thursday when you hear this, I said he should have a starting role in 2019, and, and I maintain that should be the case. However, at the time of this recording, there's some rumors about A.J. Pollock and the Dodgers, which would kind of shift Verdugo out of the picture, I think, or at the very least give him a For part-time 60 games. role. So, yeah, so... <laughs> I'm unsure of what the Dodgers are thinking. It's almost like a, it's almost like a cruel 
uh, Colorado Rockies thing they're doing with him. He he is ready, Jason. I I can tell you that much. And it's it's weird because he, we have that prospect fatigue with Verdugo, but he is so young for the level. I mean, it, he was 22 in AAA, and he's performed great all through the minors. I just don't don't expect the power to show up, especially not in Dodgers Park. But he's someone whose bat is MLB ready, and he's ready to contribute in the bottom of the lineup at the very least, and not be a total zero. Now, what was your big separator between him and Ruiz, um, who I think is you know two years younger, but also you know outproducing his age in Double A? Yeah, um, it, for me, it's um, I don't want to default to my inherent bias against catchers. I think it's more. To me, if I'm going to rank a catcher number one in the system, he has to be have to have a really standout tool. And I guess if you want to argue that his lack of strikeouts could be that standout tool, I mean, starting in June, he walked more than he struck out in 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 Double A, and it was a seven percent to seven percent uh, ratio. But for me, it's I think the bar for catchers is pretty low already as is, and the ultimate package is going to be someone who was uh, a low power, high average kind of catcher that isn't going to wow you at the end of the day but should be good enough to be a major league starter for years to come but to me that that's a good above average role player whereas verdugo has a chance to you know hit 290 300 in the bigs one day and while it might not come with a ton of power he should be good enough to play a, a solid defense and his pitch recognition will carry him through the years as well so for me it's it's a couple of very high floor guys right none of them really have fantastic ceilings they're both high floor but for me, it's just the you know Verdugo standout tool. His hit tool is what separated type you know Kiebert and Verdugo. Do you think that the Dodgers have any prospects in this system um, that profile as that future impact player? You know, we've seen them use their farm system to to bolster their starting their starting uh, nine in in L.A. I don't get the sense that any of these guys are anything more than trade pieces to keep the major league squad uh, stocked and and contending that's actually not a bad assessment uh there isn't an elite superstar here i i think um i would say gavin lux might be the most well-rounded of the bunch who's going to give you what you want from both the defense and the offense side of things you know lux kind of had a big breakout year last season where he you know he he had an lps of nearly nine i think uh, just just not, uh, over 900 mm-hmm. and he's in a profile of someone who could be a 20 home run guy in his best years with 15 steals perhaps even a bit more 20 steals as well and at the same time a good enough defender where he can play enough to stay at shortstop while however just keep in mind as he ascends through the through the ranks Corey Seager is still someone in the major league level so he might start over at second base and play well enough there as well. So he has a good eye, he has the wheels, and he has a defense. So I think he's probably their most coveted, in a sense, uh, a guy that I think will, will be the most valuable to them. And he's maybe not that elite package, that elite guy that maybe you're trying to get me to you know, give you someone for, but he's probably my favorite in this system as well. Ralph, I want to kick it over to you here, um, talking about this top five. Sure. What are your thoughts on uh, the Verdugo versus Ruiz, and especially from like a fantasy standpoint? As a fantasy owner, are you losing patience with with the Dodgers uh, kind of dangling Verdugo around? And I know you're not uh, a fan of fantasy catchers, so give me you know a quick take <laughs> on Ruiz as well. Yeah, I I think when it comes to Verdugo, you just have to be patient. 
Um, he moves so quickly through the lower levels of the minors. And we sort of understand that the Dodgers tend to keep guys down. It seems like a little bit longer than, you know, what you expect. I guess Cody Bellinger is sort of the only guy there that kind of breaks, breaks that mold. Um, so it's to be expected. They, they sort of wait until these guys are fully baked. Certainly Verdugo could have, you know, fit into most major league outfields over the last couple of years. He could play all three outfield positions. He's probably um, best in center, actually. He's a very strong center fielder. I wouldn't necessarily say gold glove, but uh, in terms of his routes, his throwing, um, and just sort of uh, um, his, uh, his his overall ability to, to, to cover really the, the entire um, area of center field in, in Dodger Stadium, which is a, a relatively expansive uh, outfield. I think that's what gives him the most value. I think ultimately he's going to end up as their center fielder. I don't know if they're going to end up trading him or not. Um, he's got, you know, excellent plate approach. He's shown that since he was a teenager in, in double a, um, really knows how to work account. Um, he's, he's contact oriented without, uh, being overly aggressive at the same time. He's, he's not passive at the plate. You know, I think in terms of actual baseball skills and IQ, he's about as high as there is in the minor leagues right now. Um, he just makes really good plays. I, the question with him is how how much power is really there, how much power ceiling is there. That's really always been the question with Verdugo. Uh, it didn't play up in the PCL, which isn't great. So you sort of wonder about, you know, what's the total impact? What kind of a player can he be? At worst, he could probably be a, a Jackie Bradley Jr. type with uh, a little bit more batting average and on-base ability uh, than what Bradley has shown. Um I wonder when he finally fits into the picture, even if they sign AJ Pollock, I don't necessarily think that means that uh, Verdugo is completely out of the picture. They need some more outfielders. They trade away Puig. We know, you know, if if Harper isn't signed or whatever, there's going to be some opportunity there. He's still going to be the best defensive outfielder that they have in the organization. And that's got to matter at some point, especially with that pitching staff. And I think really the way the Dodgers approach games, they're not going to out slug everybody. Um, so they, they sort of need to play that small ball from time to time. And I think Verdugo is going to fit in well there. Um, I'm not as big of a fan of Kiebert Ruiz. I have questions about how good his defense, his defense is. I think that we've seen that narrative sort of pop up. There's a lot of similarities between him and Francisco Mejia, in my opinion, where this is a guy that you pop into the scene. The bat was so huge. We look at how young this guy is, what the production is. He's a switch hitter. He's so polished at the plate. I don't really love the setup at the plate personally. Um, I don't, I, the swing's not bad. Obviously, if you look at the underlying numbers, especially plate approach wise, plate discipline wise, he's got excellent plate discipline, but I do not love the swing, how it projects for power. Um, I just think he's going to be a solid hitter. So then he really has to be a decent catcher. I don't know if he's going to be able to hold up, you know, catching more than 50% of the time. It may end up being a long-term split between him and Will Smith, which is, I guess what I'm getting to is I think Gavin Lux is the number one player in this uh, um, organization system, whether it's for fantasy, whether it's for reality. I think the fact that he's going to be able to play multiple positions on the infield, whether it's second base, third base, um, you know, or potentially shortstop long-term. I don't love Corey Seager as a defensive shortstop. It wouldn't shock me if he eventually moves off the position, whether it's the third base to replace Justin Turner long-term. I think Lux might be the shortstop of the future. I might be the only guy that thinks that because I think that that um, Jeter Downs is more the second baseman. Lux is more the shortstop just because of the strength of the arm. I love the approach. He's shown more power than Verdugo ever did at these levels. He's a better hitter, I think, already than Kiebert Ruiz is. Um, and, he, and he provides some value on the bases. 
for me, Lux is the number one in the system. Um, and I think across the board, all of his skills sort of speak to that. I think he's the only guy with the, with the potential to be a multi-time all-star um, and an impact offensive player. Cause maybe Ruiz does if he's a, if his catching develops enough, but for me, I think, I think it's Lux is the number one guy. JP, you got, uh, you got some extended looks at Kbert Ruiz and I know that you're not high on him as well. Can you speak to some of the things that you observed? Yeah. Um, I think it's mostly, uh, I'm not super into his swing and his swing mechanics. And, um, he does sort of have this weird setup where there's a lot of weight on his back leg and, um, it's a little bit just keeping it back. And I think that for one that it allows him to probably limit his swing and miss. And that shows up in the, you know, low strikeout rates. But, um, to me, it just, it looked very, uh, looked stabby in a way like he was, it was just super contact oriented and very linear. And, um, fact that he hit 12 home runs was you know, on the year was a little surprising to me when I looked up his numbers, just because, you know, I didn't see bat path that looked conducive to that. And, um, yeah, I mean, he's, he was young for the level and has a really solid body. Um, I just, I think I looked at the swing and kind of couldn't get over that. Um, defensively, I thought he looked decent, but you know, things that I had heard were he's supposed to be a plus defender. Um, so I don't know, I guess, I guess I'm just industry low on him or, um, you know, I, when we talked about our top 100 prospects the other day, um, I, he was left completely off my list and, you know, we had a lot of other catchers who I don't think get as much fanfare as him ranked higher, you know. Um, Why do you think that is? Do you think it's just, do you think it's the age-related production in, in offensive leagues, or is it the is it the, the strikeout and walk rate? I think it's a little bit of both. I think, I think people get really excited about these prospects that are, um, that have, have some polish and like produce at a high level, um, for their age, you know, this, this sort of happened with jerks and profar a few years ago, and he finally had the big, the big breakout last year. But, um, just because a prospect is young for his level doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be a a superstar. So, um, for me, that may, might be a little bit of the case with Ruiz Thompson. How are you doing? I'm all right, man. I don't want to forget you. You have anything that you want to add to Verdugo Ruiz? I do have a question for you. If if you were the GM of the Dodgers, mm-hmm. based on Alex Verdugo's profile, so it, better defense, more contact, uh, more consistent contact, uh, probably a higher OBP and average, would you take him over Jock Peterson in center field? Can you live it's- with – can you live with the lack of defense and 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 the swing and miss issues for the occasional home run from Jock? Is that what type of player you want, or are you going with a safer bat? I'll take the safer bat in Verdugo. Um, and I know Ralph said Jackie Bradley, and I've, I've long comped Verdugo in fantasy to, like, Melky Cabrera, right? Like the unsexy guy, roster glue kind of guy, right? Not a, not a guy you build your foundation with, but a guy that you help supplement your parts with. And I think that's what Verdugo gets you because I, I, I think everyone's 
a lot of the the hit tool and the hit tool is is the plus tool here and again you know with the power production you wish there was more um but he hasn't in, in the pacific coast league he's only at 16 homers in in just you know just under 875 plate appearances and he's on the ground a lot so you have to kind of know what you expect but with the dodgers getting rid of puig and, and kemp um if verdugo is gonna break in you know he's ready as Eddie mentioned earlier, but uh, and I think he's an everyday guy, which is not something you can say about Peterson. And I think the defensive floor provides a little extra layer that they don't have in the organization right now as well. So I'll take Verdugo. When all said and done, you know, when this, when Verdugo's career is over with, you're going to think, okay, well, he was a little bit better than I thought, but he's never really going to pop as he's playing, if that makes sense. Totally. I, I get it. Uh, Eddie. Dustin May, we haven't talked about him yet. You have him at number three, the aptly named Ginger Guard. Best nickname in, in the system. Yes. Uh, tell, <laughs> us about, tell us about. Tell us about like this guy with the eighty grade nickname and the eighty grade uh, red hair. hair. Oh my God, it's, it's gorgeous. I mean, he, he's a he's a he's a specimen to behold. He's he's why I chose. I deliberately chose him to be the the picture of this Dodgers top thirties post. Um, to, to me, he's someone that I think the the industry is not caught up to yet. Um, he has everything working for him well right now. He, uh, you know, he's someone who well, he's six foot six. First of all, that's 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 massive. Uh, but he looks kind of like a twig. Um, I will say that before you get excited about uh, at seeing kind of the height and weight disparity, I don't think he's someone who's going to add on thirty pounds of muscle in the next two to three years because the way his his body is framed. I mean, he he has no ass. You know, and usually if you don't have ass, you, you can't grow into yourself. So he's going to be uh, he's going to look underweight for the majority of, of, of his career. Um, but but for me, in 2017, the team asked him to switch from a, a four seamer to a two seamer. And not only did it did it help him with, with his control and command of the pitch, which he was struggling with before, but it added velocity. And so now he's living in the 92 to 95 range. With a with a pitch that gets a lot of strikeouts and generates ground balls, and for me, if you can generate your ground balls with your fastball, it's a huge, huge uh, bonus, and and it automatically makes that a plus pitch for me. And he has a, a big break, a, a big slider that has a big break, and he doesn't just use it to to kind of always just put away the right handers. He'll steal he'll steal a, a strike with it every now and then. For me, it's now about the changeup. If he can get that to at least an average pitch, he's an easy number. Uh, number three in a rotation he has fantastic control especially for someone his size uh and especially for someone with like a bronze and a royal like um delivery and he like the other names in his top five he's very young for his level he made it to double a as a 20 year old where he did get handed he got handed to him a couple of times but he has an overall profile with the grounders with the strikeouts with the control there's nothing to pick on him yet, at least not, not not nothing that sticks out to me dramatically. And I know the Dodgers were very, very hesitant to include him in any Manny Machado trade last July, which, again, it, it kind of goes to show if, if, a, if, a, if an organization is not going to give up a, a, a pitcher, of all things, for Manny Machado, pay close attention. You know, there's, there's reason they're doing this, and, and that kind of sets off some alarm bells. I've been a Dustin May fan for a long time, and I'm excited to see what he can become. He'll flash some SP2 side up your upside in, in his prime years, I'll tell you that. Good to know. Let's get back to Gavin Lux here because I do think that outside of these top four, these are probably the top four that are going to be in a top 100 list. I, I, as much as I love Jeter Downs, 
I don't see uh, Downs being in a, in, a, in a top 100. Where did you have Gavin Lux in your own personal top 100, Eddie? So we talking um, real life or, 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 Give me or both. fantasy? Give me both. Uh, all right. So for real life, I'm, I'm by far the highest on Gavin Lux. I'm sorry. I'm, excuse me. Fantasy, Gavin Lux way high. I had him 27. Uh, he's the biggest, uh, easiest dynasty asset that you're going to want from this, from this entire top 30 because of what he can do and the position el- positional eligibility that, that he can uh, hit you with. And for real life, I'm looking now, actually, it's the same exact ranking. So I have them both inside. The, I have them inside the top 30 of both. And, you know, I guess it's a reflection of it brings up a good question that we can debate another day of how do you rank a top 30 versus how do you rank a top 100? Uh, but Gavin Lux for me just has the highest upside in a sense. And I think that's what kind of drew me. But in the top 30, how I rank these guys, I didn't want to ignore what a high floor means to a major league team in Verdugo and Ruiz. Ralph, uh, you had talked a little bit about Lux. Do you have him in the top 30 as well? I have him uh, 33 on the fantasy list, and I have him 38 on the real-life list right behind uh, – uh, actually right in front of uh, Vidal Brujan. So sort of shows you how high I'm on those guys. Wow. But, yeah, I am pretty high. Thompson, we got a bunch of people in the uh, – we got two guys here in 25 to 35 range with Lux. Where do you got him? And, and um, there's a reason I'm asking all of this when, uh, sure. You know, once I find uh, out where you guys put them, in my reality list, I have them uh, 58 right now, uh, right behind Drew Waters and Christian Robinson. And then in my fantasy list, I'm trying to look for him right now. He is 61, so I'm a little bit down, but it's still high. If that makes sense, uh, I, I still like the player, but. Um, these two like him more. I'm, I'm curious. I, I heard Eddie's reasoning why, and I'm, I'm excited to hear more about it. JP, do you remember where you had Lux? Uh, in the 60s, I believe. Like, may have been like 68, 70-ish. All right, so I didn't have him ranked at all. And I think when I looked at, because I haven't seen him before, I think just looking at the numbers look really nice, but I'm also kind of iffy on Cal League numbers. I kind of throw those out the window. So... The high guy on Lux. Tell me why. Tell me why I'm wrong here, because I've, I've, this isn't a hill that I'm willing to die on with Gavin Lux. So I probably need to edit my top 100. I, I think it's like what what Roth said earlier in his in his spiel about Lux and what I've kind of been saying. This is someone who's going to stick up the middle, uh, and, and I'm I'm encouraged by Roth saying he might even be the shortstop of the future for for the Dodgers. But the very worst, he he can be a second baseman. So you got the positional eligibility staying staying up the middle in the dirt, which is already a big plus, right? You like your up the middle the guys, um, and he's not a he's not a b- below average defender though. He's going to perform well uh, on the diamond, and you have someone who has a great. Uh, approach at the plate he sprays the ball everywhere he has the power that he grows into he's, he's getting that loft in his swing and he has the speed so it, there's really no big hole in his game right now so i i guess if, if there is point it out to me i don't know if, i don't know if you're just not on the on board with something but i mean the walk rate is there the strikeout rate was at 17 percent last year so he's not like a 25 percent strikeout rate that you just kind of cross your fingers and hopes he brings it down the again the power is growing i mean the, really he has it all the position, the power, the speed, the, the approach. I mean, I don't know. Anybody else want to add on uh, add on to uh, 
to Lux here before we move on? Yeah, I I think that's the biggest thing. And then you take a look at some of the underlying factors outside of the production, which was actually really good over that last month that he spent in double A. His line drive rate over a month was 31% in double A while he was walking uh, 12% of the time nearly. So take a look at that. You know, he's making lots of barrel contact, obviously. You you know, if you're you're pulling line drives, he's a a left-handed bat, has the ability to stick in the infield. Um, the approach is there. He's a smart base runner as well. Um, and even when you look at the, you know, the overall profile in terms of, uh, 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 batted, batted ball, I mean, he's, you know, he's one of these guys that he's not overly, um, fly ball heavy, which I know everyone wants to get like real jacked up about, but if you have a 50% fly ball rate, good luck hitting over 270 in the major league level. He's a guy that has a, around a 40, 39, 40% ground ball rate you know, somewhere around 30, maybe a little bit more in terms of flies. It seemed like he hit an, an inordinate amount of line drives um, when he was in double A. But the production didn't tick down going to double A from um, um, high A in the Cal League. So the numbers were still there. And he was tasked with playing shortstop the entire time that he was in double A for that last month. So um, he's one of these guys where the numbers are creeping up a little bit as he's moving up the ranks. That's usually indicative of a pretty special player. Um you know, like, for example, Matt had him behind Christian Robinson. What's Christian? I love Christian Robinson. I actually mm. have Christian Robinson ahead of him. But really, like, when we think about it logically from a team standpoint, what has Gavin Lux not done that Christian Robinson has has done? Right? I mean, you're talking about a, a kid that just turned 21 in, in, in November that at 20 jumped up to the double A, held his own, played an incredibly demanding position, and he adds value all over the field. Um, yeah, I mean— there aren't there aren't many guys right now I think that are, are as underrated as Gavin Lux is. He's a cold he, weather kid too from Wisconsin, and this is kind of what you hope for when you. No one thought he was like going to be this good. But right. this so is it a sounds to me, though. it sounds to me like he settles in that shortstop tier behind uh, Lewis, Keyboom, Rogers, Tatis. Is he yeah. the, is he leading the next wave of shortstop with Jazz Jimenez? Uh, who else am I forgetting? I know I'm forgetting somebody, but you know that sort of crop. Uh, that yeah, next Edwards, wave Warner, of Garcia, yeah. Nick Madrigal. <clears throat> yeah, I, I would say so. I mean, he. I had, think he does. You know, it's, you guys it's, taking I, Gavin Lux over Nick Madrigal? Oh yes, easily. Okay, all right. So, uh, Ralph, don't publish the top 100 until I update my list with Gavin Lux. <laughs> what about what about Jazz? <laughs> uh, Lux versus Jazz. I have him ahead of Jazz. Yeah, player battle. Uh, I take him ahead of. I take him ahead of Jazz too. Okay, um, hey, that's a player battle. Fun. Let's do it. Not as fun, but I mean, when you look at what the numbers are and and sort of what he's done, and I think the other part of it is the organization has been relatively aggressive with him, moving him up. Um, he was a pick that a lot of people questioned at the time, and I think it's just another example of uh, why we should probably trust the Dodgers amateur scouting as much as anybody because they spend more money on it than anybody. Well, moving on, let's talk about uh, Jeter Downs here. Um, Ralph, do you want to talk about Jeter Downs, or I'll kick it over to JP because we have his video in the post. Before we move on, everybody that's listening to this, go onto your phone or go onto your your browser, look up Gavin Lux on Miner's Graphs, and then scroll down to uh, average fly ball distance between 2017 and 2018. Um, There's some spikes, but there was massive, massive improvement this year in terms of how much further he was hitting the ball. But yeah. Let's move on. You want to talk to a little Jeter Downs? Let's talk Jeter Downs. Jeter Downs, kid. 
Go for it, Ralph. Unless you want JP to lead off since he got the video. Yeah, I mean, you could certainly kick it over to JP. I, I, I've been a fan of Jeter Down since the time he was drafted. He's a guy that isn't an unbelievable athlete. I think he shares a lot of um, attributes with a, another recently traded Reds middle infielder that's shed long, where it's sort of the sum of his parts sort of push the profile. Um, I think he's going to be more of a second baseman, doesn't have a really strong arm at short. Good footwork, good first step. Um, I think that he's an above average hitter. He's got really good plate approach, especially for a prep kid. Uh, I think he was a, a Florida prep kid, if I'm not mistaken. You can correct me if I'm wrong, Jason. Um, good plate approach. Uh, he kind of really committed to putting the ball in the air and getting more fly ball heavy this year. And I think the you know, numbers sort of bear that out. There's a little bit more power there. I don't think he's going to be a huge power guy. Runs pretty well. Um, you know, gets good jumps. He's not the fastest guy, but um, he he is somebody that you know has really good instincts in the bases. So overall, I'm I'm a fan of uh, uh, Jeter Downs. He was named after Derek Jeter, so I think he probably wants to stick at, at shortstop. But uh, I was sad that he left the uh, the Reds organization. But I have a I have a feeling that I'm going to be losing more and more interesting prospects from the Reds over the next couple of months. Let me let me jump yeah, in here for a really. second. Yeah, go Jason, ahead. Eddie. Do, do you think? Uh, I, I'm with a move to the Dodgers. I, I kind of think it's written on the wall that he's going to be an outfield, you know, prospect from now on. It, am I wrong or am I right? Um, I haven't seen him play the outfield. He played most of his games at second base. Uh, I'm imagining it's probably second base with maybe some games in center, but it's possible. I haven't I haven't read anything about the Dodgers' plans at this point. Um, you got to assume so, right? He's got 20. Ducks, it's possible. Seager, you know. Uh, uh, just spoke someone else. I mean, I don't know. I he's, think it's going to be. He's little... not a. He's not a great runner, so he would have to be a corner outfield guy, and he doesn't have a strong arm. I. I, I just yeah. think that his limitations physically and defensively, really, the only position where he could be a plus defender is probably second base. Maybe he could learn to be a, a decent uh, left fielder. It's not Willie Calhoun. I don't think he's going to struggle to play left, but uh, I think that he is a second baseman through and through. Just sort of an average arm. He's got middle infield instincts, got a good first step, um, and he feels the position cleanly at short. I, I just don't think he has the arm strength to make some of those throws from the hole uh, constantly. I don't know. I don't know. If, I don't know if he can move to the outfield because he really couldn't play right field, and he probably doesn't have enough range to play center. Okay, good to hear. I just drafted him. JP, what did you? <laughs> JP, what did you see when uh, you got to look at him in instructs a couple years ago? Yeah. So. Um, taking a look it was a short look but i i kind of liked his instincts and feel for the game i was i was actually just rereading this blurb that i wrote about jeter downs uh on my old blog and it was funny that uh ralph brought up like kind of savvy around the bases because there was apparently there was a play i don't really remember this at all but there was a play during the game that i saw where um i, I think the center fielder threw a ball um, to the cutoff man and, um, downs kind of sized up the throw and ended up taking extra base on the play. So, um, I definitely liked his instincts and feel for the game. Um, none of his tools on their own really stood out to me, um, in that one look, but he just looked like a dude that could do a little bit of everything. I like the athleticism, I'm, it, it, but it is interesting that, you know, Ralph talking about that that athleticism doesn't necessarily play up in the outfield. So he'll be one to watch. I do think that the Dodgers are going toward that more versatile 
uh, type profile player that can play all over the position or play all over the field. Uh, let's keep it moving though. At number six, Eddie, you have ranked right-hander Dennis Santana. Number seven, catcher Will Smith. Number eight, Tony Gonsolin, right-handed pitcher. Number nine, DJ Peters, outfielder. And number 10, Josiah Gray, newly acquired, uh, came along with Downs. Give me just a quick, quick, quick run through on six through 10 here. Yeah, Dennis Santana, someone that I'm, I'm, I'm so bummed that he, he suffered a, a strain right rotator cuff just about a week and a half into his major league debut last year because he's someone that I'm, I'm rooting for because he was tabbed as a bullpen arm from the from the very beginning thanks to what was like a like a kind of cross-body action and no change it but he, he improved the pitch so much that now I think he can stick as a starter and this fastball man it's so heavy along with a slider that he's going to routinely post strikeout rates you know 25% and above again it, it, I don't know what it looks like now we still can't we still don't know if he can get major leaguers out so we have to wait to see uh, how he comes back. And in, a, in such a stacked Dodgers rotation, I think he starts in, in Oklahoma City. So we're kind of forced to wait right now. But but I am. He's someone that should be cheap in dynasty leagues right now because of that injury. So buy if you can right now. I don't think he should be that expensive. Uh, Will Smith, again, another one of these athletic catchers. He he he, he split almost his time uh, between third base and catcher. And I, I'm wondering, and this blurb I wondered, are is two-way position players with one of those positions being a catcher, is that a new market inefficiency that the Dodgers are quietly kind of exploring and trying to exploit. Maybe, you know, uh, my, my only thing with Smith is he does have a great uh, on-base uh, approach. So if you're in that type of league, his on-base and his proximity to the big leagues make him valuable to you. Uh, but I do think he needs to work on his approach overall because the strikeouts are going to kind of soar up there in AAA. He had a very tough time. Again, he was young for the level, so I'm not super worried. And it was it was just his first taste of AAA, so kind of the struggles are sort of to be expected. And all his power this year came in AA. Um, so don't don't you know temper your expectations for what he can do. Don't think his 20 home runs last year uh, are going to translate to even more in the majors. Um, but he, great defensive guy, huge arm, uh, so he has his value there. Uh, Tony Gonsolin, I'm, I'm I'm always stumping for these for these unheralded. Uh, uh, pitchers that come out of nowhere with big stuff 94 96 good extension uh he has a slider that sits in high 80s it doesn't have a uh it isn't a big put put away pitch but it can at least be average uh his curveball is is disgusting and i think based on his release slot and his arm speed uh there's a there's a video linked uh to uh, under his post under his blurb that jp took where you see the the fastball and then the curveball and then it, it's just nuts you know, the speed and the velocity, which the two play off each other, which I think is a big thing uh, he can use to get major leaguers out. He has good control when, when he can keep it around the knees. And he's someone that he's a ninth round guy that I think he's already a success. And I am trying to get him everywhere I can because he should be up soon. He might probably be bro- broken in as a reliever, uh, but he should get some spot starts. I would hope at least if not later this year by 2020. And this is someone if you don't, he doesn't have the pedigree, I get it but he has the numbers. And when you got the numbers that he does, you got to respect it. And for me, that's you know similar to Jordan Yamamoto when I did it in my Marlins top 30, who I ranked seventh. Respect the guy with the numbers. And un- until he starts waning and kind of you know disappointing you, just stick with him. Uh, number nine, DJ Peters. He was one of my first prospect crushes when I kind of jumped into the, you know, the, the, the dynasty game. Three true outcomes guy. He almost uh, he almost had a, uh, nearly half his plate appearances, home run, walker, strikeout. Huge, massive dude. Six foot six, two twenty five, almost like Jason Worth, even with the hair and everything. Uh, doesn't have Jason Worth speed though, 
but he has plus plus raw power and he'll get to it in games especially with his long levers but that you know kind of what happens with someone who has long levers of course is a strikeout sore and uh, don't look at his high a numbers uh, when he was named the, the mvp of that league as what he can do i would take double a more as what he can do uh, he's an easy easy obp guy over average league i'm kind of off of him in the sense that no longer can I tolerate guys who have a strong walk rate but have a, a bad hit tool because the strikeouts are just going to eat him up once they get to the majors. And I'm kind of worried of what that looks like uh, when he, when he kind of keeps climbing up. And Josiah Gray, you know, um, I, I know, Ralph, you know, you, you love his, his background and how he was discovered. Uh, Two-pitch guy, you know, 92-96. Uh, he gets a lot of swing and miss. Um I wonder if there's some, you know, Ralph, I kind of want to hear you chime in on what his, is there a chance he, he might be a reliever based on what, where his arm comes in with a low three, you know, three quarters arm slot. Um, but, you know, he does have a, a SP4 kind of base is I think where he'll live. He might flash some SP3 side in, in his best years, but that's six through 10. Break it up. Am I, am I wrong to think that like Josiah Gray is just the type of athlete that Dodgers player development guys are going to turn into an absolute beast. Ralph, no, I'll kick that over to you. No, I, I think you're right. And uh, I talked to Josiah maybe about six days after he was traded to the Dodgers. And um, <clears throat> it just so happened to be his birthday, uh, the day that he was traded. He got the, the car. He got the call in the car. He was with his girlfriend going out to dinner. And uh, he at first he thought it was actually like the, the, the assistant to the GM from the Reds. Call him to wish him a happy birthday. And uh, then he found out he was he was traded to the Dodgers. And as he said, he's like, uh, he's like, I kind of had to to keep my cool and not like be be a jerk to these guys. Like giving me an opportunity to obviously play professional baseball. Um, he's like, but I was real excited to be able to, um, you know, join the Dodgers. You know, obviously their history um, sort of uh, uh, it's well known their approach, Honeycutt's approach. They were some of the first folks that were on the, the, the biomechanics side of things and digging into that. They embrace uh, advanced information and techniques. And I think that he was really excited about being able to dig into that. Um, you know, this is a small college kid from the New York area. Uh, went, went to uh, Lemoyne Le, Le up in um, up in upstate New York, almost on the Canadian border. They're really not known for anything. He was an excellent athlete. I was like all, you know, all uh, uh, scholastic, had like a three, five GPA um, two way guy. Didn't pitch a lot as a starter until after he came down to the Cape over the summer of 2017, really pushed, started to develop his third pitch, which is just change up. So he'll stump on the fact that he threw his change up 18% of the time last year. He had the numbers for me. He actually gave me the exact number of pitches he threw and the exact number of change ups. He he is stumping that his changeup is just uh, is just as good as his as as his uh, as his slider, his secondary weapon. So uh, I don't know if I buy it based on what I saw. I thought it was a little firm, um, but but he's you know really says he's really focused on on adding some more some more dip and dive to that pitch um, and sort of trying to match up the arm speed with his fastball. Dude does have a rubber arm, um, but he has two pitches there that are legitimately swing and miss pitches. Um, generates a fair amount of ground balls as well with the fastball and can sort of work, you know, high or low in the zone. So, um, I think a lot of that has to come down to the fact that he does have two variations of his fastball and his spin rates from what he had said were 2,400 to 2,600 on his four seam fastball when he's working up in the zone, which, um, which is above average. That's a solid spin rate. 
Um, so he should be able to miss bats with his fastballs as well, which I think is a big differentiator. If that third pitch is, is, is legit, I think that, that Gray does have the opportunity to potentially uh, jump up this list and, and, and proceed as a starter. He does have that sort of off-the-charts athleticism and doesn't have a lot of wear and tear on the arm long-term uh, because of all the time that he spent at shortstop uh, you know, as an amateur. I like that. I, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, considering his athleticism is um, so good, and I think his mechanics um, don't have a ton of moving parts. He's pretty fluid, especially in his in his lower half. I, I like Gray a lot. Thompson, are you buying Will Smith's power spike as a fantasy uh, Not really, um, I, I, but I do think the defense is, is well beyond enough for him to carve out a very useful major league career. Uh, but no, he sells out for the pull, heavy pull. Um, I think, uh, Eddie does a really good job of breaking down the concerns in the article. Uh, 19 of his 20 home runs, uh, came when he was in double a. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think he's got much of a hit tool to go with this. It does play up because he will walk at an, an above average clip, but I do think he offers a, a high floor of, of uh, OBP and, and power in a reasonable fashion to couple to pair with that defense. And I, I think, I think, I mean, if you want to project out to like a Ruiz and uh, Ruiz and Will Smith catcher combo for the next half decade, I think that could be pretty productive in LA. Um, they, they've kind of jumped into the tandem thing. They played uh, Austin Barnes a lot more than they should have when they had got a guy like Grandall. And so they, they like to, they like to use their tandems a lot, so I, I think that's going to be a productive one for them in the future. JP, are you sold on Will Smith uh, being a major league catcher? I know that you didn't have him ranked in the in your top 100, even though both ours were just uh, pretty catcher heavy. Um, just just making it at all, or being like a productive everyday player. Um, being, is is he know, a second division regular for you? Probably. Probably not, and that's kind of crazy to say. Um, geez, I can't why? believe I'm saying that. Yeah, um, I know, but why? Now that you said it, now you got to defend it. <laughs> I just, I just don't see. I mean, other than the, I, I think the arm is kind of um, indefensible. Like, I mean, not indefensible. It's it's a tool that you can't um, bring down because it's that good, but. Um, you look at the strikeout rates and I just, I don't think that one, one tool is enough to get them there for me. And Tony Gonsolin, we have your video in the post here. Um, are you as high on him as Eddie is? I, I am. Um, this was just a spring training look last year, but. I think everything Eddie's saying in here is is accurate, and um, just I've, I've been looking at this video again. I I like his arm action. It's it's a little bit short, and I don't think it's easy to see the ball out of his hand. Um, the Dodgers were playing. Uh, it was some sort of Japanese college team during spring training, and uh, Gonsolin looked good that day. He had this sinking fastball that kind of would bore in on right-handed hitters, and um, Eddie referencing the curveball. The curveball was nasty. Just big movement, big sweeping break. Um, there were 
I think a couple times when Gonsolin would miss with the pitch, but it was moving so much, he was still getting swing and miss on it. Um, yeah, and just a well-rounded arsenal too with um, a split change. And I, to be honest, I, I don't even remember seeing the split change, but um, I remember I was watching this game with uh, a couple scouts and um, I wouldn't, uh, I definitely wouldn't tweet something like a split change out unless it was something that I had uh, got from a scout. So overall, yeah, I mean, I like this guy. Um, I, I think there's actually maybe less effort in the delivery than you might think. Um, it's weird. You look at him from behind home and it does look like there's a little bit of effort. Um, but when you look at him from the open face, kind of, it's strange. It, it looks, it looks like less than on first blush to me. Um, so there's just, there's just a lot to like on this guy. Um, I didn't think he'd be this good. You know, a 29% strikeout rate, 8% walk rate is, is pretty impressive. And, um, this tidbit that he committed to full-time pitching three years ago, definitely notable. Um, maybe he could be, maybe he's a little bit of a, um, late emerger type for that reason. But yeah, I, I love where Eddie threw him in on the list. Let's keep it moving. Uh, we're going to go 11 through 20 here, uh, Eddie. So at 11, you have Edwin. I'm sorry. Let's do 11 through 15 because I still want to I, I want to talk about some of these guys uh, more in detail. At 11, you have Edwin Rios, first baseman. 12, Miguel Vargas, third baseman. 13, Mitchell White, right-handed pitcher. 14, Edwin Yusita, right-handed pitcher. And 15, Jaron Kendall. I feel like there are some big names uh, in this 11 through 15 that at least had a lot of helium at some point. Uh, Rios has insane numbers in the PCL, but with a high strikeout rate. Miguel Vargas crushed last year and was just flying off uh, dynasty leagues and has seemed to settle back down. White, at one point, I've seen him in the top 100 in, in some list. And Kendall was the first-round pick a couple years ago, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, when you're ranking these guys here, Eddie, talk to me about, you know, how do you weigh in like someone like Rios's numbers, White's track record, you know, Vargas's just explosion onto the scene and, and Kendall's draft stock here? Yeah, this, this, uh, that's a great question. This is one of the. This is kind of where we start. You know, the guys we covered already were, for the most part, ones who are on the upward trajectory, have everything going for them, and now we're kind of entering the group of guys where they had bad seasons and now they're dropping. And like you mentioned, this was Mitchell White, who whose injuries has kind of slowed him down and whose, whose velocity doesn't know where it wants to land. If it's the low nineties, is it mid nineties? To me, it's, you know, how bad have you been recently and is it something that can be fixed or is this a continuation of something that has already been plaguing you? Like Jaron Kendall, for example, when I really dug into him, I had to ask, the, you know, our group chat, I'm like, hey, guys, is, is, is it me or does Jaron Kendall really not use his lower half this much? And it's true, he, he does not use his lower half. I'm impressed he hit 12 home runs this year uh, using that with, with that kind of um, swing. The that Cal he League, baby. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess so. Upper body strength, I guess. So, but this is something that he, in 2018, he was just as bad as he was in 2017, and, and we're kind of still writing off his college numbers to kind of uh, prop him up. But I'm, I'm, I'm not in that, and I think I, 
I fought to not drop Jaron Kendall lower because of the struggles because he still does have a nice defensive floor where he should be a, a pretty great center fielder defensively, but that offense is kind of scary. And so you, you kind of mix and match that with someone like Miguel Vargas, for example, who's uh, three spots higher, where for the most part, it was a very strong debut. Um, it was 30 games in the AZ, in, in the rookie league, eight in the AZL, 22 in the Pioneer League, where he slashed 400, 464, 592. Those are video game numbers with a almost equal walk to strikeout rate. Um, but when the Dodgers bumped him up uh, to to uh, a ball, full season ball, he came crashing down. So that was uh, that was probably necessary. And I think it had had he, they not bumped him up to that full season spot, he probably would have found himself a little bit higher, maybe a couple spots higher on this list, but it was good to get that dose of reality. Um, I, I wish I had more information on Vargas. I know he was like, like you mentioned, he was a very, very hot dynasty commodity when he burst onto the scene. But um, right now I'm getting some tweener vibes on him. I'm not really sure where the power numbers really lie. We don't, we don't, he's an athletic guy. He can play a few positions. He plays on first base. He started a couple games at second base. And of course, primarily third base as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, you at this point it becomes almost like the personal preference of the guy making the list. Like, how much risk do you associate with someone like Jaron Kendall versus a Mitchell White? You know, uh, has Mitchell White showed flat promise in the past? He has, which is why he's above someone like Jaron Kendall, who to me hasn't really showed that promise at all in a minor league career. Um, Miguel Vargas has showed a little bit of that promise, but he's 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 probably uh, probably the guy who's most liable to shoot up or fall down this list uh, very easily in a few months. Thompson, I want to I want to ask you a question here. Um you've been in the fantasy game for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Do we do fantasy owners a disservice when guys like Miguel Vargas splash on the scene in complex ball and put up ridiculous numbers? Do we do them a disservice to make any sort of opinion on these guys without having seen them in person? to see if it's real or if they're just hitting cookies because that's what you get in complex ball most of the time. Right. right. Fastballs right down the middle. I think the I think a lot of I know it was stateside for Vargas, but I think a lot of what you think about Vargas I, Vargas is a good cautionary tale. Remember Malcolm Nunez from the Cardinal system? It's a good cautionary tale on that. Like, you know, he destroyed destroyed rookie ball and I mean Nunez is in the DSL. But uh, came crashing real back down to earth, um, you know, as he faced more advanced pitching. As far as a disservice, I don't think it is. Um, I, I think it's understood the risk you're taking on when you when you recommend a, a kid in a ball. Um, and the way the fantasy game is now, ever ever before. I mean, you can even speak to Eddie and, and Ralph. I know they're real big into dynasty leagues. Jason, you played a few dynasty leagues yourself. You have to get in on the ground floor of guys like this. For every, you know, for every Edwin Rios who may or may not stick, you you might find, you know, the the next one, maybe the Jan Torres version that does stick, right? Or I'm getting ahead of myself with Torres, but trying to find an example. But you know what I mean. You you have to get in earlier and earlier and earlier than these guys than ever before. Um, so I, I think when you when you listen listen to recommendations of this, you know the potential hazards when you pick them up and i mean we're not telling people to invest a ton in in miguel vargas when you're picking him up but i mean he's definitely worth a speculative ad based upon the numbers he put up and the the play skills Um, so i i get your question it's a loaded question because i think it's a case-by-case basis but it is a loaded question 
<laughs> JP, uh, Jaron Kendall's lower half, does it really just bum you out? Well, I've been looking at this guy's swing for the last 10 minutes, and I'm it, it just, I, I'm curious to hear Eddie's take after too, but um, what I see is it's sort of like a, I'd almost call it like a lazy stance. Like he's kind of late into getting into various positions and um, strides forward with not a lot of conviction. And then his hands, I think, are are really good, though. And I think that's where the, the power is coming from, just hands and bat speed. And um, I thought I remembered just hearing, like, coming out of the draft, this kid was supposed to be, like, a legitimate power speed guy. And um, I think it was mostly just speed as a result of um, – or power as a result of his bat speed. Um, yeah, I mean, he does – it's not as if he – isn't striding forward. Um, it's just very slowly. And, um, I think he kind of looks behind on different mechanical checkpoints in his swing. Uh, that's sort of what I see when I look at it. Yeah. For, uh, real quick, JP, I mean, to me, I, he doesn't get that, that, that coveted Nike swoosh, if you will, that, that gives you that loft. And I think he's, he's pulling his hands almost toward the ball rather than kind of bringing that knob down and up. He's, he's kind of taking a shortcut to the ball and it, it is hands and, and bat speed that's giving him that he also turns his wrist at the end I saw at the end which, which forces him to roll over on a ton of balls I would watch video of him so it's I don't know he, he's just not getting that, that that sweet swing that I would like to see from someone and, and that power is not going to come at this rate at all because he's taking that shortcut to the ball and because he's getting on top of it Anything to add, JP? No, I won the debate. <laughs> this this isn't a debate, bro. We I think we agree. Um, but yeah, I, I don't have anything to add. All right, moving Nothing on. Nothing further. Uh, that was perfect. James right, Carvin. <laughs> All right, number 16, we have right-handed pitcher Michael Grove. Uh, he was the 68th pick in the draft. Number 17, Connor Wong, catcher. Number 18, Diego Cartaya, who was one of the top uh, international signees uh, in July. Uh, number 19, Braden Fisher, right-handed pitcher. Number 20, Gerardo Carrillo. Uh, Ralph, do you have anything on these guys? Any Anybody stand out? Anybody you're targeting in your leagues? No, no, none of these Not guys. even Cartaya. I mean, first year player I, guess, draft. I guess, but like, how much do you really want to invest in a 16 year old catcher because of what his bonus was like on the I've international seen, market? I mean, so you could, you could go out, you're you giving him the Joey Bart him. treatment, right? Um, I would much rather have Joey Bart. At least like I have some semblance of an idea of when he's going to be in the major leagues and the fact that he probably can't contribute if it's only as a backup. I mean, there, there's, there's a, you talk about, you know, Catchers come out of the collegiate ranks. A guy like Will Smith, who was well decorated, um, you know, at Louisville, um, had an you know an underlying sort of baseline of defensive skill, on base ability, and we're freaking out about what his strikeout rate is over the course of a month at AAA. What? How should we view a 16-year-old catcher that signed for a huge bonus that we may not even see stateside for two years? Um, I'll I'll react accordingly. In two years, if he comes over and he looks like, you know, the second coming of Johnny Bench, I'll, I'll be all in on him. But at this point, 
Yeah, I mean, maybe he's an interesting guy in your leagues if if you can get a value on him. But he's a guy I want to take closer to 100 than 50. And I think you probably have to draft him closer to 40. I feel like in in the four or five drafts I've done, first-year player draft, Cartaya has flown off the board within the first 30 picks. Are you guys seeing that in your leagues as well? I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. Because, I mean, (laughs) more players are available for me. (laughs) So you've heard it here first. Pass on this guy for a little bit. You know, if he's there, you know, at 100. These guys are hard to do because you're looking at video of them hitting in in tournaments against guys the same age who are not getting those $2.5 million bonuses. So... Uh, I think there's a lot to like, you know, if you're the Do- if you're a Dodgers fan, you you want the investment there, but uh fantasy-wise, uh, I'd let it ride. Eddie, who in this final 5 of the top 20 do you really like that you think can make a jump up this list? I'm kind of curious about uh Braden Fisher who was number 19 here. He was a uh, he was 134th overall pick of the, of the draft this most recent uh draft class um he's a classic texas prep right-hander so you know that means he has the big fastball that that sits in 92 94 uh, and i think he can actually add a little bit more velocity to it which is primarily what's, what what makes him intriguing he's six foot four 180 pounds so he has a nice projectable frame that you want to see pitchers come out you know at least prep prep right-handers come out of and, and build upon uh he has a, he has a slider that has flashed above average and of course as with almost every high schooler in the country, the changeup is not there yet. Um, but he does have nice arm speed. He has a, a, a good, uh, he gets on top of the ball thanks to his high, almost, almost over the top slot. Um, I, I did notice that uh, his fastball gets a little flat when he gets high in the zone. But if he adds that speed, and I think the Dodgers are a great organization to, to make sure you, you maximize that speed of your fastball, I think he, he should be a nice uh, riser over the next couple of years if that changeup plugs along. So I'm 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 very 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 far watch list guy for me. But if you if you made me pick someone of this of this uh, this last five, Braden Fisher is the one for me. Uh, Ralph, anybody you want to talk about? Ralph or Matt, anybody you want to talk about here before we move on? Sure, Michael Michael Grove. I was going to mention as well. Um, he's kind of an interesting arm, and he's one of these guys that you know is coming off of uh, off of surgery. I know this sort of happened with his Hazel Cesardo a few years ago. Obviously, he was a prep guy. Um, but you know, he's a guy that, uh, they ended up signing for, I think was an overslot deal. If I'm not mistaken, correct, Eddie. Um, they signed him what second round. I think it was like 67th, 68, 68. 68. Yep. 68. All right. So I was, I was right on. They, they missed out on signing JT Ginn, um, earlier in the draft. So they, they signed Grove for overslot. He was nasty, uh, back in 2017 with West Virginia, big fastball, Reportedly has a lot of spin on it. Um, really good slider as well. Missed a fair amount of bats. He looked like a guy that might have been, you know, toward the back end of the first round had he been healthy. Who knows? Um, the Dodgers, to, to make that kind of a commitment on a guy like this that has this kind of a profile, hasn't pitched in a year, he could be a guy that jumps quite a bit. I mean, the last time the uh, – I know this is hyperbole, but the last time that the Dodgers took a chance on a uh, a guy coming off a of Tommy John surgery from the collegiate ranks, he turned out to be Walker Bueller. So I'm not saying Michael Grove is Walker Bueller, but they have a track record of sort of tracking some of these guys down. And um, the Dodgers from like round one to 20 historically over the last 15 years have drafted really, really well. So I think you got to pay attention to their drafts every year. 
Let's move on. 21 to 30. We have Carlos Rincon, outfielder, uh, at 21. 22, Julian Smith, lefty. Most of you guys probably don't know who he is, so this is going to be an interesting conversation with him. Uh, 23, Jacob Amaya, second baseman. 24, John Rooney, lefty. 25, Jordan Sheffield, right-handed pitcher. 26, Devin Mann, second base. 27, Yadier Alvarez, right-handed pitcher. 28, Omar Estevez, uh, middle infielder. 29, Matt Beatty, corner infielder. And number 30, another corner infielder with big-time power, Christian Santana. Seems like the Dodgers are adept at finding just these tooled-up, athletic, strong guys with Big time swing and miss, but big time power potential. Uh, how hard is that to separate with these some of these guys, Eddie? It seems like you're getting a lot of the same profiles. Yeah, right. And Carlos Rincon and Christian Santana were the same guy almost, but uh, well, not really. I mean, it's you know the tools can only take you so far, and it's it's how are you applying them uh, at, at these at these levels? You know, this this last tier here is is basically a big power big power guys. Back end uh, uh, pitcher, uh, a reliever, and a lot of uh, a couple of relievers rather, and then a lot of up the middle utility guys. It, to me, I, I would I would love to, to jump into these power guys, but there's a lot of red flags in them that we can dive into in a little bit that just don't let don't really let me fully buy in. And I think this is kind of important when you're looking at a top thirty. A lot of these guys, it's they're going to take some time, and a lot of them are just they're they need a lot to go right in order to hit advanced pitching. But, um, you know, the Dodgers seem like they, they find young raw power, uh, almost better than any organization. Um, let's talk about Julian Smith. I want to kick this over to JP because this is a guy that, uh, was a 15th round draft pick out of Juco. Eddie, you got him 22. We can talk about that ranking here. I'll get to you after JP kind of introduces us to the guy. But if you are a fan of the site, this name should sound familiar because we have written about him before. Uh, JP, sell us on Julian Smith here. Well, when you're when you're in instructs, um, just sitting with a bunch of scouts, and you hear several of, several of them ask, "Who's this guy? Who's this guy?" Like they're all interested. Um, you need to pay attention, and that was what was going on with Julian Smith. There's, I, I really love his um, athleticism and just in general how his his body moves. It's a very clean, easy arm action, and um, I wouldn't I'd say low effort in the delivery. The fastball is mid nineties with pretty good life, and it's moving to both sides of the plate, kind of all over the place. Like it looks like it's it's not a mid nineties fastball that's going to be straight and easy to hit. Um, the curveball, pretty tight shape and spin. I thought it flashed plus in that look and the changeup was not as good as the other two pitches, but, um, still like this could potentially get to league average or something thereabouts. And, um, this is just a really good finding for Dodgers, um, amateur staff. You know, they took this kid at a, a junior college ball and, um, part of the reason his stock may have been depressed was I think he was coming off of uh, Tommy John surgery and um, maybe he was a little bit under the radar for that reason. But uh, what I saw in instructs was really promising. He could be 
really good. He could be a big riser, um, but obviously there's such a limited track record of performance. He could also be nothing. So it's a big variance guy, but it's a guy with a guy you can dream on. And um, the people sitting around me in the scout section were definitely interested. And I took notice of that. And um, I would like to think even if they weren't around me, I would have seen like this guy would have just jumped off the page um, because he's he's just really interesting and fun to watch in that short stint. So Eddie, when you're ranking the back half of a top 30, when, when, when you are looking at, at a, a lot of risk, um, and, and a lot of just low ceilings, what is it about Smith? I mean, other, is it the athleticism? Is it the, is it the, is it the, the, the ability to mix, you know, a, a couple pitches and, and touch 94? No, that's exactly it. And especially when you're touching 94 from the left side, given his frame, I think he can maybe add a tick or two to that. And it, it's a lot of what JP said, you know, when it, he, in his tweet with that, that includes a video, when other guys are, when, when scouts are, are taking notice and trying to getting, you know, peaking their interest, like, Hey, who, who is this guy that, that kind of, um, should, should give you, should kind of set up some flags in your head. Like, Hey, this, this, this is someone I should maybe be paying attention to. And it's it, it he because he has that ceiling. That's why I ranked him here. Then then uh, instead of not ranking him, even though he had just one instructional league inning all year, you know. And it's I like him above the guys below him who are utility guys or relievers, because there there is something there. There there is upside here. Of course, I can't. I just can't go any further than this because again, it was it really just was one instructional league inning. But it's like <laughs> JP said, you know, it, it's it was good enough. And if you're not ready to bet the house is, on the inning. <laughs> yeah. It, it, if, if it was, if it was good enough, that one inning to, to garner that reaction, you got to pay attention. Yeah. Ralph, uh, any, anybody off this list, jump off, um, jump up to you to, to where you think uh, it, they're worth owning. They're going to be a high riser. Yeah. I think there's some arms here, maybe for like uh, very deep leagues. You're playing in like 20 to 30, 30 team leagues where there's, you know, 30 plus um, minor leaguers rostered. I, I think John Rooney's an interesting guy. I know that the league that you run, Jason, uh, where I took over the Astros, Rooney, I think, was my last round pick in that uh, 10 rounds um, minor league draft. I think it's what, 24 teams that league, or is yeah, that 24 okay. teams? 24 teams. So relatively deep. Um, and you're, you're picking really toward the, the, the back end of the draft. Now you're starting to look at some of these other guys that fell a little bit. And I don't think Rooney's going to be a superstar, but he's a big lefty six, five, um, you know, an East coast kid played at Hofstra. I think he was actually one of their, um, one of their all time leaders in a bunch of different statistics. One of the few guys from Hofstra that's pretty well known. Um, not a lot of big velocity, but I think that, you know, he could be a back end arm, um, maybe a swing guy a little bit. And he should move pretty quickly because he is, you know, relatively advanced in terms of his uh, field for his stuff. And uh, he repeats well for a big guy. You know, I think he's he's a, a house. I mean, he's a monster, like 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, like 240, 245. He's almost built like uh, going old school on on y'all uh, Dick Raditz. He's like a, a guy that you would nickname like the monster. Um, but I don't, you know, I don't think he's going to be dominant or anything like that. Uh, he's not going to be a guy that, you know, strikes out, you know, more than a batter in inning. Um, it's probably going to be more like, you know, control ground ball kind of a guy uh, that can eat up some innings because of the size of his body. So I just think he's kind of interesting. And then, you know, Jordan Sheffield is just the, uh, 
the less athletic, less dynamic version of uh, his younger brother, Justice Sheffield. But I think he's another guy that could be sort of a tweener. Um, maybe he finds himself as like a a seventh inning setup guy. Um, but he's not real dynamic either, but, uh, I think that there are some skills there more than the numbers have shown. And Thompson, anybody here you'd like, I think I've written that Carlos Rincon miners graph right at six flags before, uh, Uh. when I was a kid, I think. That's what it looks like, man. It's you start out, you know, going in reverse order. Start out at the top and just and just ride it all the way out. But I, I think in a dynasty league, this is a guy. I'm not. At, this goes back to the first question you asked me. I, I'm not advocating a significant, you know, cost or anything. But take a flyer. Why not? Maybe something clicked. You might have something here. Uh, it's going to cost you nothing. Get as like the fourth piece in a in a trade or just throw in you know you get a pick from a couple guys hey are you gonna drop this guy or you know you 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 send over a a two for one deal they got to cut somebody and make make it a two for two if they're gonna get rid of rincon you know i'm not like again i'm not advocating you know he's because he's got serious swing and miss issues but the power is uh looks to be intriguing to me and the walk rate now let's get to our one word eddie you should you should have had plenty of time to think about this as you wrote it. Give me one word to describe this Dodgers farm system. Um, I'll go with young. You know, uh, seven of the first ten names on this list were very young for their level, and that's one of the things that uh, is most encouraging when you're looking at, at a prospect is how are they performing, and if they're performing well, are they young for their level? And a lot of these guys are. So, the, the, even though outside of maybe Gavin Lux, there's no one who screams elite superstar potential MVP candidate. There's a lot of really high floor guys with enough upside to be above average major leaguers. And because they're, they're performing well at young levels, you kind of got to like the system as a whole. What about you, Ralph? Yeah. So I think my one word is uh, secret. And uh, the reason I say that is I, I think that uh, the Dodgers just quite simply, you know, have figured out sort of the secret to business. I think that's a quote from like Aristotle Onassis, if I'm not mistaken. It's uh, the secret to business is knowing something that no one else knows. And I feel like they know things that other teams don't know because of how much money they spend on scouting and uh, internationally, uh, uh, domestically, you know, in terms of, in terms of the amateur leagues. And if we look at the mix here, they're not scared to draft guys that, you know, maybe have an injury, maybe don't come from a big school, a guy like Julian Smith, um, or take a chance on a, a, you know, middle infield prep player that maybe a lot of other teams considered an overdraft and a year later, that guy's Gavin Lux. So I think there is some secret. There's something that they know that other teams don't know, whether it's just, you know, their ability to collect a lot of different data from a lot of different levels, a lot of different leagues and see more players than anyone else. Maybe that's the case. But I think that uh, I think that they're they're an organization that uh, has figured out the secret sauce, so to speak. Thompson, one word. Uh, hyphenated word, muy importante. Uh, I say that because the Dodgers are rumored to be kind of wrapped themselves up in a Braves-like fiasco internationally. So whispers about that. I don't want to speculate on what exactly they have done. I just have seen. Information about that, and they also failed to sign JT Ginn, their first round pick last year. And as you can see, those leave 
potential holes in the system that need to get filled. And with the, where the Dodgers are, they have a tendency to, we, as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, use their farm system more to supplement their major league roster too. So this system could be very, very ugly in like a year and a half from now, uh, just with if they depending on what happens with this. So it's very important that they get as much as they can out of what they have here, which is an obvious statement, but I think for more reasons than one here. And JP? I don't have a good word. Um, something like unlockable, like the if I feel like the Dodgers have a smart approach to player dev and um, they they're going to get the most out of these guys. Like if their skills, you know, maybe that the public doesn't see floating below the surface, um, they'll get the most out of them. So that'll be my word. I think I'm going to go with uh, a, a couple words have popped into my head just and, and it piggybacks off off what you guys uh, putty was one. I think that. You know, to, to JP's just last point there, the and and to Ralph's as well. The Dodgers, are one of the better player development organizations in baseball, um, and a a ranking against systems. A lot of times, that says, "Oh, well, they don't have a good farm system," as if that's an indictment on the player development. It's just kind of the nature of the beast when you're winning and using prospects. Um, to either fill holes at the major league level or or to trade off his assets. But I do think that these guys will get the absolute most out of every player in their organization. And then I think the other one is house money. Um, you know, they have enough in this system to keep this NL West dynasty rolling a couple more years, I think. Um, there's enough in here to go out and make a big splash uh, without – necessarily losing anyone that we might think is an impact major league player uh, and I think that's an important thing to do if you can get impact major league players for for fringe organizational depth it's it's the really good front offices that are able to do that and I think the Dodgers have that so uh, we are down to one more top 30 to go we hope you enjoyed this podcast uh, you know I'm Jason Waddell I have with me you know the rest of the crew here Eddie Almaguer Matt Thompson, Ralph Lifshitz, and Jason Panini. You can find us on prospectslive.com. I want to give a big thank you to Young Bat Company. So, yeah, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll be back here with the Mariners shortly. And a way back, you fool. There must be a way back. <laughs>